Hello, thanks for joining us again. This is Space Nuts. I'm your host, Andrew Dunkley. It's so good to have your company yet again. Coming up on this, episode 339, we uh, talk about uh, Mars. Got a couple of stories coming out of Mars. More unusual formations have been uh, showing up in the press. You may have seen them. We'll talk about those. And Martian samples uh, dropped by Perseverance. It's uh, delivered its entire payload now. So what happens next? Plus, we will be answering questions about travelling faster than the speed of light, Artemis 2 and 3, and the L1 and L2 Lagrange points. That's all coming up on Space Nuts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. And... Joining me, as always, is <laughs> Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. Uh, how have you been? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm a, uh, in a bit of a panic because today I leave to go to Vienna. Yes. Uh, and uh, for I'll be in Europe for a month uh, and I haven't done anything in preparation other than a lot of paperwork, which you have to do when you travel officially. What more do you need rather than a pair of stubbies, a T-shirt, and a pair of thongs? <laughs> well, a good jacket for a start. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And we, we've done it many times because um, in the days before COVID, Marnie and I used to take tours up to the Arctic uh, at this time of year. So we'd yeah. leave a hot summer's day in Sydney and turn up in snow in Helsinki or or Oslo or Stockholm on our way up north. And, uh, uh, yeah, we kind of got used to it, but I'm afraid I'm out of practice. I'm so out of practice, Andrew, that I cannot find all the European adapters that we've got stashed away somewhere because, of oh. course, we've, we've moved house since we just needed them last, and I'm sure I'll put them in, in a safe place somewhere, but it's so safe I can't find them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we lost ours after the trip to uh, the Mediterranean because the bottom of our... One of our um, suitcases split open. Oh dear! On, on the zip, and all right, all when right, we yeah. unpacked, all, uh, there were two things missing. One was with our toiletries, and the other was with all our adapters and cables. So we oh, lost all go. that. Was. But um, for the for the most recent trip we did, we we bought these new adapters that are um, battery packs with all the different cables for all the different devices that you could possibly oh, have, you as, well, as well as that you just drop it on and it charges. Can't remember what it's called. And they were fantastic. And they were brilliant. And they were legal on a cruise ship. They don't let you take power boards on cruise ships okay. because they draw too much current and yes. put a lot of pressure on the ship's system. So they, they generally confiscate those. And and the ship we just went on to New Zealand, at the end of the cruise, as you're leaving, they have the table of shame and they have everything they've confiscated laid <laughs> out for people to claim back. I just wondered how many do. Yeah, power well, boards, irons, kettles. You're not allowed to take any of that stuff. Well, on a of cruise course ship. not. No, that's right. It was funny, but these things we took were legal because you just charge them and then you charge the devices unplugged. So really, really handy, and you can charge two or three things at once, which is even better. So um, very handy. I'll show you what they are. You ought to get one for your travels. Well, I think you'll maybe should investigate that. That's yes, right. yes. No, no, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, in fact, we've only got one thing to talk about, and that's Mars. So, um, and and there's been a fair bit in the news in uh, recent uh, weeks about uh, some of the things happening on Mars, one of which we'll get to later. 
uh, these, uh, the, this situation where they see a rock and they suddenly decide it looks like, I don't know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Um, <laughs> but that, that's happened again. Uh, it, it has. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a phenomenon well known, and I, I've talked about it a bit. In fact, I do a whole talk on this because there's so many different examples on it. It's a phenomenon called pareidolia. Uh, which is very familiar to psychologists. And it's about the fact that when we look at inanimate objects, we often make them into something else. And it's usually an animal or a face or, uh, you know, something familiar. Um, it, it, it's uh, Everybody's seen patterns in the clouds, you know. Oh, doesn't that cloud look like a dachshund or a, you know, or a cat or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, and uh, it, and it, it it's most perhaps most noticeable or um, maybe most prevalent in the world of astronomy and space science because uh, there are often patterns which we see in celestial objects uh, where you've got a something like a face. Um, I, I remember uh, it's probably about five or six years ago now, there was a beautiful evening uh, with uh, the crescent moon and Mars and sorry, uh, Jupiter and Venus in the evening sky, uh, and it looked like a smiley face. The two oh, eyes, yeah. two eyes, and the grin. Uh, in fact, I did a whole a ABC radio segment on it from the studio there, with people standing outside watching it. And I think, if I remember rightly, it was capped off by the International Space Station that went past at uh, the same time. Anyway, uh, to, to cut to the chase, uh, all the things that have been seen on Mars are extraordinary and i guess they started back in 1976 with the with a face on mars that was the seen face by, on the, mars, yep. by the the viking orbiters um which when nasa took a closer look with subsequent space missions and they actually rerouted them so they could go and have a look at this thing it was just a hill with a kind of sunken top um but the rovers themselves have produced uh epic images uh, of things ranging from a top hat on Mars, which uh, yes. one, one commentator said was probably the consequence of a Martian, uh, uh, you know, a, a Martian uh, kidnap of some poor human being. Uh, the top hat on Mars, there's, there's been tires on Mars, there's ghostly ladies on Mars, um, lots and lots. Oh, the spoon, the spoon's a really good one because it looks exactly, right. exactly like a spoon and it's actually a, a little outcrop of, of harder mineral. Uh, but anyway, the latest one comes from uh, one of uh, one of the, the well-known spacecraft in orbit around Mars, which is Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, a NASA spacecraft, which has been up there for, well, decades, I think now. Yeah, it's going uh, really well. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. Uh, it has a high-resolution camera on board, the high-resolution imaging experiment, uh, otherwise known as HiRISE, uh, from which we've seen many images, including images of, of rovers on the surface. Um, but what its latest, uh, its latest um, uh, triumph has produced a, a storm of interest on Twitter uh, because normally when Hi-Rise publishes photos, you get, you know, just a, a few, few thousand views probably. Uh, but this particular one generated over 3, 350,000 within a couple of days. Uh, and it came from the University of Arizona, which actually is responsible for the high-rise camera. So what you've got, let me describe it, uh, a circular uh, region of fractures, uh, which is almost certainly an ancient crater, quite large. But uh, so it's, it's a quite interestingly circular formation. 
Uh, and uh, it's got two smaller craters, which are almost equal in size, maybe came from the same impacting object, which just look like eyes. And then a curious kind of broken smile, which uh, is almost certainly a hill um, or certainly a rise in the terrain, uh, whose whose summit has collapsed uh, in terms of the you know the the um, the structure, the geology. It's actually collapsed maybe because of the subsequent uh, impact. So what you've got is something that some people have thought it looks like Winnie the Pooh or a, yes. you know a, or a, or a, 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 a basically a, a bear of some kind. Um, and I, I find it a bit of a stretch because the, to me, the, the, the broken hill looks more like a beak and some have suggested, yeah, it looks like an angry chicken. Oh uh, yeah. I can <laughs> see that too. I, I, my initial reaction was it looked like a bear. Yeah. So, yeah. um, with, yeah, yeah, with it, I, it actually also looks to me like the logo for Pie Face, you know, the company Pie Face. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. So, um, it, yes, the, the, the broken hill looks a bit like a snout with a bit of a grin in it. Does. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's caused a lot of interest and it's really nice, uh, that, that this process continues, that we continue to see faces in things. We've seen uh. faces in the sun, we've seen faces in the galaxies. And as I just said, we've seen faces in the sky with uh, Jupiter and Venus and the, and the crescent moon. So uh, it's not really, I guess it's of scientific interest from the point of view of psychology. It's the way people perceive yes, things. We uh, do this a lot, don't we? And what really fascinates me, Fred, is it, it's always making the news. This stuff yeah. seems to just be newsworthy and I don't understand why. <laughs> Well, it, um, I, neither do I. I think it, it is because we, uh, you know, we we we, we, do, we try to humanise everything. We do humanise it, and um, it, it's. I think it's great because it draws attention to what's going on around it. it uh, probably people wouldn't bother looking at pictures yeah. of um, the surface of Mars uh, taken from a, an orbiting spacecraft, and this draws their attention to it, and maybe they get interested and have a look at some more. They yeah. don't have faces. I suppose so. We've probably got to think of a name for it. <laughs> I don't even know whether this crater has a name. Actually, it's um, maybe it's not. one one that um, it, it's a really interesting structure. Kind of, as I say, like a sunken crater. Yeah. Um, one uh, suggestion is it looks like a grizzly bear. I can see that. Yes. But uh, I'm thinking we should uh, lean more towards red panda. All right. Okay. <laughs> Yep. That would make sense. It would make sense. Yes, it's kind of got a panderish look about it. Now, you suggested <laughs> it was an impact crater, perhaps. So that broken snout in the middle, the, the rise, could that be the impact point and the rebound? Um, it, what it might be is, yes, there is a, uh, when big craters form, uh, they've got to be above a certain size. You do get a central, a central uplift. Uh, so often when you look at craters on the moon, they've got mountains in the middle. Uh, uh, what uh, they are usually dead center though in the center of the crater, and I think yeah, that's just bit, because of a bit too far south. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, I kind of wonder whether the hill that formed that curious valley that looks like a smile, uh, whether that is a, a, you know, a more recent feature than the crater itself, because the, the the crater is really a ghost crater. There's not that much evidence of it other than this broken uh, ridge. It almost looks like a series of trenches around the outside. Yeah, it does. Uh, there is some interesting structure in it, which um, I, I haven't really had a chance to to look at. I uh, I need to to go back to the original uh, release from JPL to uh, to find out 
uh, what we're looking at here, because this, 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 you know, almost um, uh, sort of uh, almost looks like a zip fastener in place is this this curious circular structure. Oh yeah, uh, and I'm not sure how something like that will be formed. So yeah, there's this, there's what, a suggestion that the um, uh, the middle piece that that uprise um, yeah, yeah. Could, could be partially created by lava flows. Yes, I guess that's right. Uh, and so certainly the whole area looks as though it's it's perhaps had uh, lava flows. I don't even know which bit of Mars this is on, and because Mars has got lots of different ge- ge- geographical regions. Yeah. Um, some suggest a volcanic or mud vent, and uh, as you said, lava flows or even mud flows. I mean, uh, that comes about because we, we believe that uh, the subsurface of Mars has a lot of water locked up as ice. Uh, if you get something that hits the surface of Mars and heats it, then you, you're going to get potentially a mud flow. And yeah. we know on uh, on Ceres there are these uh, dome, essentially um, volcanic. I think they're called volcanic domes. They're they're just a dome that doesn't have a crater that's caused by up, upwelling mud from underneath the surface. So this yes. might be something similar. Well, it's, it's fascinating, but um, uh, and and I notice uh, in some of the stories they've they've dug up old photos of other things that yes. have been um, <laughs> yeah. photographed in astronomy, and. You know, a lot of them are faces. We we just yeah. seem to gravitate to faces, don't we? Yeah, especially smiley ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, you don't really want evil faces in space. No, that's, that's um. Well, no, that's right. No, you don't. <laughs> so um, I, I don't think this will be the last. I'm sure there'll be more and more of this stuff happening, uh, whether whether it's uh, bunnies out of the clouds or, um, or yeah. some kind of weird thing on Mars. Um, I know sometimes the popular press pushes it to the stage where they're claiming that there must be Martians there because that couldn't be natural. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's certainly happened, yeah. And oh, there's many times. One particular British tabloid in, uh, in particular that, uh, <laughs> that tends to do that a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember, it wasn't very long ago, there was um, uh, it's, a, it's a rock face on Mars, and this has come from one of the rovers, uh, but it looked... Exactly as though it had a doorway in it uh, that sort of, you know, the photograph that, that from the angle that they were looking at it looked as though this rock face had a doorway in it. And, of course, that was seized oh, yeah. upon by the press. But the, the, the doorway was only going to be uh, 40 centimetres high or something like that, so it wasn't, wasn't anything that humans could walk through. No, but course, hobbits. Hobbits, that's it. Hobbits on Mars. Yes, that's where <laughs> they come from. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure. Mm. <laughs> Uh, but yes, it's a it's a strange phenomenon. This one, pareidolia. Uh, I wonder if dogs and cats and other animals sort no. of make these things. There's up. an interesting one. I bet yeah. I bet the veterinary psychologists know the answer to that. Mm. Well, I know when dogs and cats see their own reflections, they they react. Yeah, but that's not the same thing. Um, seeing a solid object and thinking. Well, although I have seen videos of uh, cutouts of cats. Uh, and they put them in front of a cat, and those cats freak out. So uh, may- maybe there is something to it in the animal world as well. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, if you want to uh, take a, a look at the um, the pie face or the Paddington bear or whatever you want to call it, uh, you won't have any trouble finding it anywhere on the internet because it's everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I think just about every major news outlet in the world ran a story on it. So um, check it out. It's uh, And if you can think of a name... Send it to us. I'd be really yeah. interested if you can come up with a great it. name for it. That'd be yeah. fun. That'll be great. 
This is Space Nuts. You're with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson. Just uh, taking a short break now from our show to tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN, a sponsor that uh, has been with us for a very long time and for a very good reason. They are the best in the business. And you, as a Space Nuts listener, have uh, an exclusive uh, opportunity to uh, get NordVPN and many of their other services at a very low price. Uh, not forgetting they also offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. Now, I've talked before about the value of a virtual private network. It's a way to log onto the internet and put that barrier up between you and people who are unscrupulous enough to try and get your personal information, including your banking details, credit card details, anything that they can get to fleece you. And it's very easy to do these days. Uh, And if you use public Wi-Fi at all, uh, it's even easier. Now, to take advantage of their current offer, you go to the special URL, nordvpn.com slash space nuts. And from there, click on the get NordVPN plus gift. So let's take a look and see what that means. So uh, if you go with a two-year plan, you can get the standard service, which gives you secure high-speed VPN, malware protection, and a tracker and ad blocker. Uh, If you want to uh, go for the next level of package, they'll add the cross-platform password manager. That is really handy to have with so many passwords that you've got to remember these days. There's also a data breach scanner. But if you go the whole hog and get their complete package, it's uh, an extra terabyte of encrypted cloud storage on top of all their other services. So you've got all those options. You can go a two-year plan, a one-year plan, or a three-month plan. Obviously, if you go two years, it's heavily discounted. And they're offering one month free on top of all of that. Now, to take advantage of the NordVPN offer, uh, VPN offer as a Space Nuts listener, it's easy, easy to do. Just log on to nordvpn.com slash space nuts and click on get the deal. nordvpn.com slash space nuts. Space nuts. We'll be staying on Mars uh, for the time being, Fred, because uh, there's another story that's got a, a bit more uh, mainstream interest, I suppose, at least from a scientific standpoint, and that is uh, one of the um, the roles of Perseverance, one of its major roles, was to collect samples, and it has done that uh, mostly successfully. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, so the this is a story that in a way goes back uh, some months uh, because the what what's happened is Perseverance is equipped with, of course, a drill that can extract samples of rock, uh, and the uh, those rock samples wind up in a in a tube, uh, which is then sealed within the uh, Perseverance rover, uh, and uh, the, what what they've done is they've uh, they've uh, that NASA has has uh, kind of covered their bases by I think they've collected a total of seventeen of them. So the first one uh, was so there's two parts to this story. One is the collection of the tubes, which has been going on for quite some time, and Perseverance has been up there for two years, is it now? Oh, yeah, easily. Three three years. Uh, Three years, yes, it is. Uh, And um, the the tubes have been, I think they've done 17 of them altogether, Uh, of which 10 are being left as a sort of 
a dump, a depot, as they call it, on the right. surface at a place with the geographical name of Three Forks. Uh, oh. So there must be Three Forks in the road or something like that. But Three Forks is a place where the, uh, the, 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 the they've dumped these 10 tubes. Now, that, that's why the story's in the news, because the 10th one of them uh, was, was has been laid laid down. Um, it's, uh, it's um, I, I guess, uh, a, a, only a short time this is the point I'm trying to get to. That since the first one was laid down, uh, they've they've basically um, uh, they laid the first one down in December 2022, uh, and they've laid the last one down in uh, actually right at the end of January uh, this year. Yeah. So uh, what 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 the story is the 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 the, the, the there are now ten of these things sitting on the sand of Mars, uh, and uh, they, they basically <coughs> just just dump them uh, yeah. to be picked up by a, an eventual uh, sample retrieval lander, which is something that's still being worked on, uh, I think by both NASA and ESA, uh, the two space agencies, uh, to go and collect them. Uh, so... But um, as I understand it, there are still seven more which are still in the body of Perseverance itself, which it, yeah. which will keep going. Uh, so um, what one thing that intrigued me about this uh, is that that the samples that have been dumped on the surface have been they, they kind of pop out of the underneath of uh, of uh, the, the the lander uh, of Perseverance, sorry, the rover, uh, and there there is a camera. On on board the rover, on the end of its, um, it's sort of got a, a an arm that's got the drills on it and things of that sort. Uh, and on the end of that, there is a camera which is called Watson, uh, and Watson is a familiar <laughs> name to me. Uh, it, it, me it is, too. <laughs> it's a uh, it, it's a essentially a camera that um, uh, that that is designed just to look closely at whatever this you know whatever the the arm is looking at, um, yeah. and um, I, I can't I'm looking for I'm desperately looking for it because it's an acronym of course uh, and I can't remember what it stands for, but I thought it was a very nice uh, piece of work on NASA's part to have uh, to have a you know to have a thing called uh, called Watson on board. Um, oh, let me absolutely. oh here we are here we are. Uh, the so the, the the instrument on the end of uh, the rover's robotic arm uh, is called Sherlock. <laughs> uh, and you, and I was going to say there's got to be some other be Sher Sherlock. Yeah. yeah, doesn't doesn't have a K on the end. Uh, and Watson is the camera that takes the close-up pictures of the rock textures. But uh, uh, unfortunately, the the acronym is eluding me at the moment because I I did quite like it. Um, um, Anyway, Sherlock and Watson uh, can do quite a lot uh, of stuff together because they, they, they've got um, you know sensors that let you look at the spectroscopy, the color uh, of these of these uh, uh, images that you're taking of rock samples. So you can actually work out what rocks are there just by the reflectivity. Uh, yeah. I think that there, there might be um, is it Roman spectroscopy? There is some fairly advanced uh, technologies that are that are used. 
Uh, right. Uh, wide angle topographic sensor for operations and <laughs> engineering, starting with an N. Engineering. That's right. Yeah. And, and a bit Sher- of creative license there. Sherlock is the scanning habitable environments with Raman and luminescence for organics and chemicals. There you are. That's a pretty good one. Sherlock yeah. and Watson. Yeah. Raman spectroscopy is a, is a technique that. Um, uh, was was uh, perfected actually in the 1920s, but it's quite advanced in terms of what we do, you know, when we're investigating these things. Anyway, it's great that uh, that Watson's played a part. Uh, Watson can kind of look underneath uh, the rover uh, as these capsules are dropped, uh, and uh, there's some footage on some of the websites that show uh, this process happening uh, actually yeah. in test runs, uh, so that, that they can make sure that they land properly. They don't stand up on end or get you know stuck under one of the wheels of the rover. They can check where the things have landed. Yeah, you don't want a bad bounce when that happens. Do That's you? right. That's exactly right. So we, uh, I yeah. think, in testing they did actually drop one and it's it landed on its end and stood up. Yes, that that's right. That's uh, that's kind of what you what you don't want. You want them lying down nice and neatly so that a future a future um, uh, you know. Recovery mission can can pick them up easily, uh, and that's, anyway, and that's that's where it's headed, isn't it? To, to the recovery phase, and that and they're still kind of working on that. We don't even know when. It's yeah, likely to be towards the end of the decade, I think. Oh. Um, it's um, so uh, the, the the bottom line is that that um, what uh, Perseverance has done is has dumped these ten things up in, in the depot, uh, these t- these ten sample capsules. Uh, but now they're off again. There, uh, as as um, the deputy project manager Rick Welsh said, uh, with the Three Forks depot in our rearview mirror, Perseverance is now headed up the delta. And of course, it's a it's a, an ancient river delta where Perseverance is, because we yep. think that's where there'll be sediments dropped. So um, Rick said, "We'll make our ascent, uh, we'll make our ascent via the Hawksbill Gap route we've previously explored. Once we pass the geological uh, unit." Uh, the science team calls Rocky Top, will be in new territory and will begin exploring the Delta Top. So that's actually quite exciting uh, that uh, we're, we're going to find, you know, investigations now of the top of the Delta. Uh, who knows what might be there because it's possible that the, you know, that's the, the, the area that might be richest in any organic materials that were, were left behind uh, as that Delta dried up. And that's the point of these samples, to see if there is any evidence of organics or even previous life forms on the planet. That's right, yes. So it's, uh, Perseverance is definitely an astrobiology mission. Its, um, it's, uh, it's main, you know, main task is to look for signs of ancient microbial life. And maybe those samples that they've collected already have that. Uh, and uh, you know that's an exciting thought as well that there are samples on Mars that might, if we could get our hands on them, tell us whether there have been life elsewhere in the universe. Mm. I yeah, I'm a bit of a pessimist because uh, I reckon what's going to happen is all the samples are going to come up with nothing, and then in a hundred years when we're walking all over the place, they'll go up and say, "Oh look, if they'd only gone only gone an inch to the left." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yep, you never know, do you? You just never no, know. I'm very hopeful, actually. I'm pretty excited. I'm disappointed that it's going to take the rest of the decade before we find out anything. But yeah. uh, I, I, I think it'll come up trumps. I think they'll find something. Well, in my heart of hearts, I do too. <laughs> You're not so confident. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm pretty optimistic, like you. Yeah. Um, I, because as a scientist, you're always hedging your bets. But, uh, but I, I, yeah, I'd guess, I'd guess that some something in that stuff would speak of biological activity. Well, we'll have to wait and see. That's the problem, isn't it? Yes, indeed. <laughs> We're halfway there, though. We've got the yeah. samples. That's yeah, that's the main right. Thing. That's yes. halfway there, exactly. It's a glass mm. half full, Andrew. <laughs> indeed. And yeah. uh, you can chase up that story on the uh, – now I've got to find the website. It is the scitechdaily.com website if you're interested in uh, reading more about that story. Space Nuts. Okay, Fred, let's uh, get into question time because uh, we've got a couple of fresh ones and we're asking you to send in fresh questions, so please do. You can do that through our website, of course, uh, various uh, various ways of sending us text or audio questions. Uh, now, our first question today, uh, Fred, will be from Rennie. Hi, this is Rennie Trowell from West Hills, California. I was wondering... Theoretically, if you were able to travel faster than the speed of light, how would space and time behave? Thank you. I really love your podcast. Yeah, we love it too, Renny. Uh, but <laughs> when it works. You, yeah, when it works. Uh, thank you for your question. Uh, so Renny's asking, now, what would be the effect on space and space-time, I guess, uh, if you could travel faster? And the speed of light. This is not an unusual topic. People have asked us similar questions in the past. Yeah, and in fact, there's there's a theoretical entity which is a subatomic particle called a tachyon, which is hypothesized to travel faster than the speed of light. Now, that has never been uh, it, it's never been investigated. Sorry, it's never been discovered. We don't even believe it's it's real. Uh, but it's uh, if you put the theory into the mathematics, sometimes it gives you interesting results about other things. So yeah. tachyons don't exist as far as we know, uh, but uh, people have looked at the, the exactly the world that they would see, um, you know, if you could imagine life from the point of view of a tachyon. Uh, the first thing, of course, is time goes backwards. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, uh, to an outside observer, if you're traveling the speed of, faster than the speed of light, time is going backwards. And that's quite unusual and I really don't know how to get my head around that Andrew um, I, I should um, I should I should look at a, a little bit more into the life and times of tachyons and find out uh, what they would think uh, so um, the certainly um, in terms of the appearance of space uh, if you're going faster than the speed of light um, you're going to see a very odd universe because uh, you're beating the light that's coming to you from other parts of the universe. I, I know that um, uh, I've seen simulations uh, of what the universe would look like uh, seen by an observer traveling at almost the speed of light. And you get this funny effect of everything being crowded together in the direction of your travel because of a phenomenon called aberration. And it's uh, because you're, you're detecting light that's coming in at one angle, uh, but your own speed actually makes a big difference. It's something that was discovered actually in the um, 18th century uh, um, and observed by uh, some notable astronomers of that period. Uh, you, you, essentially, we see it on Earth. Let me just explain that for a minute, what it's about. As the Earth goes around the sun in its orbit, um, the Earth's motion of 30 kilometers per second 
means a little bit like um, if you're walking through, this is the old analog for this. If you're walking through a rain shower, the rain is coming down vertically, but as you're walking, you've got to tilt your umbrella forward because you you perceive the rain coming towards you slightly. And, right. and it's the same thing with light. That's the principle of aberration, as it's called, uh, and was measured, det- discovered. Uh, and that, um, uh, as I said, 18th century, uh, that, that phenomenon taken to extremes will be what you'd see if you were traveling at nearly the speed of light. You'd see the whole universe aberrated uh, so that everything that you could see in space will be crowded up in front of you. Now, if you were traveling faster than the speed of light, maybe you'd see it all crowded up behind you. I'm just kind of pulling, pulling guesses out of the woodwork here. Uh, uh, but I should, yeah, check out, um, uh, Rene, the, the thing to do is check out tachyons uh, on the web because that will tell you a little bit about the idea of faster than light travel, even though we believe firmly that it is not possible for anything other than light to travel at the speed of light. Yeah, the only thing that's going faster than the speed of light is the universe itself. Well, in its, yes. In its initial stages. In its initial stages, yeah. That, and uh, what you're talking about there is the separation between two bits of the universe. They could have been uh, moving away from each other faster than the speed of light because the universe itself is the framework within which light travels. And so uh, that speed limit for light, it only applies to things traveling through the universe, uh, not the universe itself. And as you and I have discussed, uh, the capacity to travel faster than the speed of light would require more energy that there is, than there is in the universe. In the universe, yes, that's right. Even, even accelerating you and me to the speed of light would demand infinite energy. Um, uh, so that's, that would be, it would be, um, you know, it'd be a bit self-indulgent really, wouldn't it? If we took the entire energy so. budget of the universe to get nearer to the speed of light. Yeah. I, 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 I very much enjoyed uh, all these uh, interesting theories and concepts that they've come up with in terms of traveling at certain speeds, even if not at the speed of light, that the, the twin paradox Twins is paradox, yes. probably one of the best where yeah. um, one of them remains on earth and the other one does, was it a five-year journey at yeah. something such like and that. such a speed? Can, can, and when, yeah. he com- when he comes back, his um, twin on earth is... 20 years older than him or something. <laughs> I can't remember the exact paradox, but it's uh, it's very clever. Um, now, And you, we've also talked about uh, which way time would go. Now, uh, I think I recall you saying that you can only go forwards in time. You could never go back. But if you go faster than light, could you go back? Yeah, I think that's that's the point. You go backwards in time. And yeah. that would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> It would depend on where you ended up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you really wouldn't want to drop down into the middle of the Crusades or no, you know, no, the, no. The wars. You the might wars not even want the Holy to, Roman Empire. Or you something. Might, yeah, you might not even want to drop down in the middle of twenty twenty three. Actually, um, no, no. But uh, anyway, and, and when you think about it, there aren't too many eras where you would want to drop in. No. Yes, that's right. That's wrong. No. no all right. Um, thank you, Rennie. Uh, great question. Always fun to talk about that particular topic. Uh, now we will uh, hear from Paddy. G'day, Fred and Andrew. Uh, it's Paddy here, roofer from Sydney. Um, it's been a while. Um, the last couple of years have been pretty hard, COVID and all that sort of stuff. Um, but 
Artemis One. Uh, the Dart mission was awesome, by the way. Um, watch that live. But Artemis One, um, Artemis Two. Okay, so Artemis Three. Uh, are they really going to go back to the moon? Like I don't know. Maybe. Well, where's my seat? I, I really want to go. So Fred, please tell me how I can apply to NASA and uh, get on. Yeah, a spaceship and go there. May the force be with you all. Thank you, Patty, and uh, lovely to hear from you again. Yeah, it has been a while since uh, we heard your dulcet tones, and I hope uh, all is well in your world. Um, a few questions in there, Fred. Uh, when and how will Artemis two and three evolve, and how does Patty or anybody else, for that matter, get on board? <laughs> I suspect you have to go to. Um, uh, to TAFE, which is like public, uh, publicly funded college in, in our part of the world, and get a certificate three in engineering. Yep. Um, that might be enough. Could be. I think it's more like, I think it's more likely that it's not enough. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so just recapping Artemis one, uh, uncrewed, uh, mission around, around the moon, uh, into a very elongated or big orbit around the moon. Uh, Very successful November, December last year uh, to be followed by Artemis 2, which will include the crew. It will be the same as Artemis 1, but there will be a crew on board. If I remember rightly, it is four people. I'm I'm, uh, pulling things out of my memory from what we were talking about at the end of last year, but I think that's right. Um, And that will be... It's a sort of equivalent of Apollo 8 in the Apollo era when the astronauts basically went round the moon just to make sure that humans can survive uh, can survive this, that sort of distance from the Earth. Yep. Uh, the same will be true with Artemis 2, and I think it will um, take place on that, uh, or it will go into that very extended uh, retrograde orbit. Actually, it was going round the moon the wrong way. Um, do, do you think when they sent Apollo 8 to do a lap of the moon, they said to them, look, we're just sending you out there to see if you'll survive? <laughs> I think the astronauts knew that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, And then Artemis 3 is scheduled to have the first uh, first woman and the first person of colour landing on the moon's surface, which yes. would be brilliant. Um, so Artemis 2 likely to be next year, 2024 probably, uh, and Artemis three, maybe 2025, but perhaps more likely 2026. Uh, and these are NASA's kind of flagship missions to open the way once again for human spaceflight to the moon. Now, meanwhile, there is a person called Elon Musk yes. who's, who's um, also thinking about, you know, going, going to the moon as well as Mars uh, with people on board. And his plans with his Starship uh, which is designed to take 100 people into orbit, um, that might be the way, Paddy, that you will be more likely to get a ticket to go to the moon. It might not be for a while yet, but I bet once he gets going, uh, Elon's SpaceX will actually have commercial flights to the moon, uh, which may be for a few very rich people, uh, or it may also involve scientists. But um, I, I think that we're going to see that taking place as well. In fact, it's it's... It's the upper stage of Starship, which will be used by NASA to lower the astronauts down onto the surface of the moon uh, when Artemis three takes place. So uh, uh, SpaceX is already deeply involved with it, but you can bet your life that 
there'll be a commercial aspect to it somewhere down the track as well. Oh, I think, and it won't be too far down the track, that uh, commercial space flight and sending, you know, do, being able to buy yourself a ticket to do a lap around the moon, eventually land and walk on the moon as a tourist, will be common. I yeah. think this is going to be very normal, as will suborbital flight, because it'll be yes. so much faster in terms of uh, delivering people from one place to another. And I've heard them talk about Sydney to New York in two hours and things like that. Well, that's right. Yeah. I'll be able to get right up there yeah. at high speed and get down much faster than just doing it the old-fashioned way. So, exactly. And there's somebody who's uh, within the next 24 hours facing a 24-hour flight uh, yeah. to get to Vienna. Um, I will look forward to that suborbital method of getting around because it, it, ah. it, and I think you're right. I think that will happen. Uh, it's possible that uh, Virgin Galactic could be doing that because their, yeah. their rocket plane would be capable of doing that if they had you know, runways to land on in the right places. It could take you from A to B very quickly indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It's not far away. It's not far away. Cool. Uh, thank you, Paddy. And, of course, uh, I, I wouldn't write your possibilities off yet because once they get habitat on the moon and start putting colonies there, they're going to need roofs. So <laughs> that's right. You know? <laughs> Paddy the Roofer. Paddy the Roofer. Uh, now, we've got one more question before we go. This came uh, from a YouTube viewer. Uh, Mike said, Fred suggested that a telescope at the L1 point could search for NEOs, NEOs, uh, near-Earth objects inside the Earth's orbit. Would it be better to go to the L2 point of the planet Venus or Mercury for this? How much more difficult would it be? It's a good question. Eh? Yeah, it's a great question, and I, I'm sure that's considered as a possibility. I think you'd uh, what you're really interested in is is the the, the smaller objects, uh, and if you put your telescope too far away, um, you're going to get it's going to be more difficult to detect those because they yeah. they'll be fainter. So the L1 point of the Earth's orbit, a million and a half kilometers inside the Earth's orbit, might very well be the perfect place to do it from because you can you know you can survey uh the region ahead of the earth uh, the earth in its orbit and the region behind uh and um would would i think pick up a lot of stuff that we're missing at the moment these uh, i think we we currently think we've got 39 percent of objects in the 140 meter class and they're the ones that we're really trying to nail down because they are potentially very dangerous yeah, uh, and uh, but they're not easy to find because they're relatively small. They're not they're not going to wipe out civilization. But if you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, when one of those hits, it's going to be bad news. Uh, so um, the I think we mentioned it the other day. The NEO Surveyor Project. Can't remember whether we talked about that. Yeah, uh, we it, did. It's a NASA project which is on the on the on the stocks, uh, and I think L one is where it's going to go. Okay. Simple as that. Yeah. I, I'm certainly pleased that they're doing a lot of work in regard to this because, yes. uh, you know, it, we, we have the technology and we have the, uh, uh, well, we, we now know we have the capability in its uh, earliest forms of, of dealing with objects that threaten us. And it would be a pity to be have in, in, in a world where we have all this science and technology and capability and we don't use it for the right purposes. So, I'm glad this work is being done and will continue to be done. And um, it, it, 
certainly throws up a really strong argument to all of those people saying, why are we spending money on astronomy when there are people starving in the world? Well, you know, it doesn't matter if they're starving if we get hit by a big rock. Yes, that's right. That's right. Thank you, Mike. Great to hear from you. And uh, hello to all our YouTube followers. Great to have you on board again. Uh, now, if you have questions for us, please send them in because we, uh, I think our next episode is by default a an all-questions episode, so we need questions. So please send them in via our website, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io and click on the links. The AMA tab at the top allows you to send text or audio and the send us your voice message tab on the right-hand side of the homepage is where you can send an audio question. Most devices have a, uh, a microphone these days, so it should be easy. Don't forget to tell us who you are and where you're from. And while you're at it, uh, join the Facebook group, uh, Face uh, uh, Space Nuts Podcast Facebook group. Uh, it's a user-generated um, uh, group that uh, talk to each other and share photos and uh, ask each other really interesting questions. So the podcast, the Space Nuts Podcast group on Facebook as well as our official Space Nuts Facebook page. And we're on Instagram and we're on YouTube and we're on Twitter and we're on, what's that other one? I don't know. Um, TikTok, you'll find us on a lot of social media, so uh, you can follow us there as well. Uh, We are done for another week, Fred. Uh, Happy trails. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How do you relax on a plane? Can you sleep on a plane long haul? Yeah. Um, I can't. Yeah, I can sleep yeah. anywhere but on a plane. It's really weird. Yeah, I'm probably sleeping for quite a lot of this flight. I usually yeah, no. play music on the headphones. Yeah, no. Seldom I, watch movies. I tell you what, I found a cure for jet lag. I know it's not a lot of jet lag when you fly from New Zealand to Australia, but there's a couple of hours disruption. Um, get a general anaesthetic. That'll <laughs> fix it. Like that. It does. Yeah. Well, of course, you, have it. That you've got immediate experience of that <laughs> it's i have fix, fix everything yes it does <laughs> oh um all right we'll leave it there uh look i'd be really interested to talk to you about your um uh, time overseas at those various conferences and some of the serious matters that are being discussed so we can uh, catch up on that not we too will. far down the track we will we will indeed uh, and travel safe and we'll catch up with you soon fred sounds great thanks andrew Take care. Fred Watson, astronomer at large, part of the team here as always on the Space Nuts podcast and uh, back to uh, Hugh in the studio. We thank him for, seriously, thank him for all the work he does behind the scenes. He works very, very hard between uh, his coffee breaks. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for listening and all watching Space Nuts. We'll catch you on the very next episode. Bye-bye. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.